I'm so thankful that God gives us freedom. Freedom from uh, the bondage of our own life and the own sin that can hold us captive. And, you know, his, his love endures forever. His righteousness does as well. The message this morning is hungering for righteous, the righteousness of God. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, which is one of the Beatitudes that's pulled out uh, from uh, those, those list of beautiful words that Jesus gives on what's called the Sermon of the Mount. And in verse 6 of Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. And we all understand what it means to hunger. We understand what it means to thirst. In fact, I went to the grocery store yesterday knowing what I was going to be speaking on today. And as I walked in the grocery store, I said I, can, I was giving myself permission because I was hungry after a long day. And I was giving myself permission. What is the one thing that I want that I can eat and it'll just be mine? Well, no, I, I went a different route than, than a particular strawberry pie because I didn't want to have to do much of uh, preparation. I wanted to dive into it while I was in my car. And, uh, and so I, as I went through the grocery store, I was going in for one item that Renee asked me to get, but I was going to come out with two. And, and I was hungry, and I was thinking, what can I get? And I went down the aisles, and I saw so much from Pop-Tarts to to, to cereal, to fruits, to meats, to ice cream. And so I stopped in front right at the Fudge Royal cookies. <laughs> I ate three quarters of those cookies yesterday. You know, when we're hungry, we eat. When we're thirsty, we drink. And the scripture says, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And so when we think of this message this morning, you, you may understand this. You are what you eat. Nutritionalists will tell us that our appetites determine our diet. And our diet determines our intake. And our intake determines our health. So it all has an effect. Now, if I go every day and get those Fudge Royal cookies... I'm probably going to be a seeing a doctor in two or three months down the road. So you are what you eat. It applies to the spiritual realm of our life as well. Jesus challenges us to look at our spiritual appetite with the penetrating words of this beatitude of Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for His righteousness. In this simple sentence, Jesus tells us that our hunger will determine our spiritual health. So on the onset, I ask you this question, what are you hungry for today? Not necessarily the food uh, like cookies or, or cereal or chicken or a strawberry pie or ice cream or etc. Or eggs and bacon and pancakes. I think our numbers just went down online. They just cut me off to go cook. No. You know, think about what it is you hunger and thirst for. I'll be honest with you. I don't always hunger for righteousness. As your pastor, I will admit that. There are some times in my life my mind is on other things. And I may lose the focus. And I may lose for what's the best 
intake for myself spiritually. But there are times that I do. And yet knowing when righteousness is of God being applied to my life, it is only for my benefit if I hunger and thirst for that that God has designed for each of our lives and for me. And so let me give you three principles about this righteousness that's mentioned in Matthew. Three principles, and each principle has its own certain points that we're going to mention as well. So hopefully we won't lose you through this PowerPoint presentation, especially those who are viewing it at home. First of all is the possibility of righteousness. If I want to understand this fourth beatitude, we need to know what Jesus means by the term righteousness. Now, the word occurs only once in the other four Gospels, but in Matthew's Gospel, it occurs seven times. And yet five of those times are within the Sermon on the Mount, which begins here in chapter 5 and runs for several chapters. The word is a mystery to us. We know it has something to do with being right and doing right. But that's just a surface understanding of righteousness. Whenever you come to the term in the Bible and you don't understand a term, then you can always look up other verses that relate to that term and see what it has to say so that you can get a better understanding of that term that the scripture speaks about. So with the possibility of righteousness, now I want to give you four usages of the word righteous or righteousness that's in the scriptures. So first of all, in looking at the four usages, other usages of righteousness, number one is righteousness is a lifestyle. Righteousness is a lifestyle. Renee, flip the screen, babe. Righteousness is a lifestyle that diminishes us as Christians and invites opposition from the world. So Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And yet the eighth and final beatitude, taking the fourth and eighth beatitudes together, we get something like this. We are to hunger and thirst after the kind of life that will cause other people to persecute us for the faith that we live. That we live in such a way above and beyond the, the, the norm of the world that the world is in opposition because they just don't understand the rightness and the righteousness of God. And so righteousness is a lifestyle that distinguishes us from any other thing, but any other uh, attitude in life. And so righteousness rubs off on other people, <laughs> and righteousness helps other people. Righteousness helps us. Righteousness helps our community. It helps our state. It helps our world. And I'll say it again. If I could go to Congress... I would stand in front of them and I would say to every one of them, if you want to understand what it means to serve the world and to be the leaders of this known world, then understand the righteousness of God. Get on your knees, cry out to God and watch God use you for a greater purpose than you could ever imagine. Amen. Righteousness is that which distinguishes us from other people in the world. Not that it causes us to be different uh, above them. It causes us to be different from them so that we can draw others into the same 
righteousness that we've come to understand. Number two, righteousness starts in the heart. It starts in the heart, but it goes further than that. It, it changes the person from the inside out. The heart is the deep seat of who we are. It's the core being. It's the inner us. And so righteousness starts in the very core being of who we are. It, it, it deals with our spiritual DNA. So the, the, the DNA of who we are spiritually intersects with the DNA of God spiritually, and God's DNA takes over ours, and it mishes the two together or, and, and makes something wonderful. And so righteousness starts in the heart and it changes the person from the inside out. For I tell you, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. So understanding righteousness is not for a show. It is for an inner change. The Pharisees had concocted this religious system around the attendance in the temple, that if you were this righteous person, you demonstrated it by your outward appearance. So it involved the intricate rules and regulations and meant, you know, instead of following the precepts, the truth, the scriptures, what God is warned about, they were more about the traditions. It's, 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 it's more than routine. It's more than just being professional. You know, I love it when Renee puts on a certain perfume, you know, not because she needs it, but a lot of times uh, that, you know, if our bodies aren't smelling too good, I know I do this, I may find that little spray and go, you know, to kind of freshen yourself up so you don't smell as bad as the day has made you smell. You know, so perfume, perfume can, can make you kind of smell good at times. And, and righteousness is not a perfume we put on to make us look good. Righteousness has nothing to do with the outside appearance. It's all about what happens on the inside because when the inside is corrected and it's full of righteousness, that which we've hungered and thirst for, then on the outside, it's going to show. So understand that true righteousness starts in the heart and changes a person from the inside out. Number three is righteousness doesn't need to be seen by others. Now, as the Pharisees taught us, they wanted everyone to see the show. But in Matthew 6, verse 1, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so the Pharisees loved to pray in public, and they wanted people to know it and hear it, and they did it loudly. They loved to dress up in their religious garb so that they were set apart and they were different. They would sacrifice anything to win the praise of others. Their religion was built on praise. They still thought God would reward them. But it was, it was a cotton candy type of experience. You know, it, it looks good. You put it in your mouth. You feel like it's going to fill your mouth and just disintegrates. It's, it's, it's a cotton candy religion. It looked good on the outside, but there was no substance in the middle. And so this particular verse is, is reminding us, by contrast, true disciples seek a righteousness that does not need to be seen by others. It's only seen by God. And as a result, if we're doing it for God, what happens? Others see it. But it's not for our praise. It's for the glory and the honor of God. Number four, righteousness seeks God's approval. 
God, righteousness seeks God's approval in Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. This touches the priorities of life. What is it that you and I are seeking in life? Fame, fortune, career, advancement, a good salary, a secure future, a happy retirement, a good partner in marriage, fulfillment of our dreams. As good as those things may be, they're not the most important things in life. I like the song that says, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. You know, but, but at the same time, we know that it's, it's only for a temporary happiness. Put God's kingdom and God's righteousness first. And when you do, and when I do, everything else, everything else just needs to be, it comes into focus. And everything else is added around us. Seeking his righteousness means letting his word set the standard in our life. So if you really want to understand the definition, I know I started with the definition a few moments ago, and that's the definition. If the definition is righteousness is letting his word set the standard in our life. And that word is going to change us. There's going to be times where you're going to look at the word, and I'm going to look at the word and say, ah, I really like doing that. But now that I see what the word says, I don't need to be doing that anymore. It's not what honors God. And so therefore the word infects, affects our heart and it means seeking to do that which is pleasing to God. And so when you put all four of those usages together, the righteousness is a lifestyle, it starts in the heart, seen by God, seeks God's approval, not man's. We understand that we are to hunger and thirst for those things. A Christian lifestyle that changes us from the inside out so that we're no longer seeking the praise of men but causes us to seek God's approval above everything else is the summation of those four usages. This kind of life is possible for us. That's why I titled it The Possibility of Righteousness. The possibility is there for my life and your life when we begin to hunger and thirst for it. And so if we don't hunger and thirst for it, then that possibility is still a possibility. And it doesn't become reality until we actually understand what we're biting into, so to speak, and what we're drinking of, so to speak. The question leads us directly to a second important principle. Not only did we say the possibility of righteousness, but the second principle is this. The power of hunger the power of hunger. Now, I learned a long time ago, do not go to the grocery store when you're hungry because you will buy things you do not want and your bill will go up tremendously than what you expected. The people that Jesus addressed understood what it meant to be hungry and they understood what it meant to be thirsty. They understood the power of that hunger and the power of that thirst. And yet in that region, few were prosperous and more than likely at one time or another, all the listeners of that day had some type of hunger in their life and may have been hungry at the time that Jesus was speaking. They lived in poverty and yet they did not have grocery stores and refrigerators and running water. They may have gone days without food. They were well acquainted with hunger pains. 
We have never known true hunger like some people. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm, I'm starving. Are we really? Are we just saying, hey, I'm just, I'm just, it's the time in my life that I got to eat because the clock has come around once again and it's my habit of eating this time of day and my stomach saying, err, a little bit longer. And so we understand what it means to want something, desire it. But hunger, true hunger pains, we may have never experienced it in our lifetime. We've never known what it was to be like these people. Hunger means waiting an extra 10 minutes for rolls to come out of the oven for us or 30 minutes for the preacher to quit talking. <laughs> hunger for most of us is the sensation that the stomach makes, uh, causes us to stop at McDonald's for a, some fries and a Coke. We are best fed people on the face of the earth. Our problem isn't finding something to eat, it's losing the fat that comes from what we eat. Jesus uses those metaphors of eating and drinking as a motivating power to live a righteous life. And the power of hunger and thirst, Jesus knew that it had to have that power in our life. So let's look at four observations of the power of hunger. No one can force us to eat. The old adage is true. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And so we can, we can in our own life, we can set up all sorts of things to create the, 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 the opportunity of righteousness. But we are not going to dive into righteousness until we make up our minds. So you have to want it. That's the first observation. You have to want it. You have to want that righteousness in your life in order to have righteousness. The verbs for hunger and thirst mean an intense desire, a strong craving, an all-consuming pursuit. So Jesus is saying if you hunger and thirst, if you have this intense desire, that you have this strong craving, that you have this all-consuming pursuit, he says, seek this righteousness in your life. Blessed are those, he says, who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. It's an intense, all-consuming pursuit. It's, this, it's, it's almost as though as we're parched, nothing stops the thirst that we have, even as much water as we drink until we get to the pursuit of what righteousness really is in our life, and it's the standard that God has set for us in His Word. In a different context, to describe a person who is ambitious, or a person who is passionate, or a person who is desperate to achieve or to succeed, we say that person is hungry for it, and they go after it. They want it that bad, and it becomes their life goal and their dream and their ambition. That's the type of hunger. That's the type of power that you and I must let that hunger and thirst have in our life because we must want it for ourselves. Listen to David. David says in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, and in Psalm 63, verse 1, As a deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you. He says, I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. 
And when I come and appear, when can I come and appear before God? There's a desire in David's life that he wants more of God. He knows him, and he knows his real, and he knows his power. But there was a craving in David's life that he didn't just want to know it, he wanted to have it. He wanted God to inundate his being. He wanted to inundate his heart, inundate his life. He wanted to, to satisfy the cravings that he had, and he was longing for God. In Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. He goes on to say, I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. There's the craving. David's saying, I, I must have it. I want it. I want what you have for my life, God. Hunger and thirst are intense desires. And it's the same intensity that we need in seeking that righteousness for our own life. Can you say to Jesus, I not only want you, but I need you. And I not only need you, I must have you. And I want it bad to the point that I'm going to continue that pursuit and it's going to be the part of my life and my aim and my goal in life to have what only you can give, to satisfy my hunger and to satisfy my thirst. Number two in these observations about the power of hunger is to take action. Appetites are filled, aren't filled until you do something about it. It's one thing to intellectually say I'm hungry and to desire food. It's quite another to take the steps to satisfy the hunger and to quench the thirst that you have. And at the same point, you have to go eat and drink. And so you have to take action. Just having the desire is one thing, but actually taking action to satisfy the hunger and thirst is another. The loss of appetite, in many cases in our lives physically is a sign of something going wrong with our body. Maybe a serious illness, maybe an illness that's affecting our appetite at the time. And so physically we know something is wrong. So if the appetite is not there spiritually, then we know something's wrong. And so we have to, it has to be an alarm that goes off in our mind. Maybe it's because of sinful condition. Maybe it's because of selfish action. Maybe it's because of a, a diverted attention. Maybe it's because of our, our lack of love. Whatever it is, we see signs of spiritual weakness and therefore we have to take action to, 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 to remedy those things with the righteousness of God. Again, the Word sets the standard so the righteousness is set by a standard in God's word. And so the word of God has to be a part of life. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He knew we needed something to chew on. <laughs> he knew we needed some more substance. No one who comes to me, Jesus says, will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, he says. And if anyone eats of this bread... He or she will live forever. The bread that I give for life, the world cannot give. He says, the bread I give is my flesh. When we are spiritually hungry, we come to the source of spiritual life, Jesus himself. Our real hunger is for God. This pandemic has caused others to hunger for God. 
it has caused others to turn away. But you look at, you look at some people's lives are different today because they realize that when everything is stripped away, what do they really have? You only can buy so much toilet paper for comfort. And you only can have so much hand sanitizer and, and sanitation wipes for comfort. It's more the life than the physical. And some have said to me, you know, my life today is more in tune with God than it ever has been. And so, you know, what, what, what I hear is they're taking action because they realize the hunger and thirst cannot be satisfied with the things around them, not even the relationships of their life that they no longer have because of the distance that has been created. They realize when it's all reduced down to themselves that the, the true source of hunger and thirst is not those things of our life which are important, but not the key. It is God. And they've taken action. Number, number three of those four observations is keep coming back for more. I'm going to tell you, I'm going back to the grocery store. Maybe not this week, but I'm going back to get my Fudge Royal cookies again. I like them. Well, if you like something that much, why don't you come back for more? And so, you know, grammatically, Jesus expressed two Greek verbs here. To hunger, to thirst. They are present participles in the Greek. Now, what that means is this implies continuous action. This is not a one-time action that you, you, get a, you, you get satisfied in your hunger, you get satisfied in your thirst. It's not fire insurance. You get Jesus and you know you're going to heaven. <laughs> it's not just, it's a continuous action. So those who are filled are not those who have been filled with just the temporary hunger and thirst. Or it's those who are continually hungering and thirsting for God. A person doesn't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness once she, he or she has crossed the faith walk. It's a constant pursuit to live a life of righteousness, to yearn to be more like Christ in the actions that we have. So are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It's almost like an addiction. <laughs> you just can't get enough. And so you keep coming back for more. You get hooked on God and on His love and on His grace. You get hooked on the standards that are set by God. You get hooked on His Word. You get hooked on the power of His Spirit. You get hooked on His working in your life. You get hooked on Him moving before you before you ever make a move. You get hooked on Him going through the threshold of the door before you ever get there. You get hooked on the fact that God's taking care of you, fortifying you. He's providing your shelter. He's providing you strength. You get hooked on the fact that He's the Almighty and we rest under His shadow. We get hooked on the fact that He is God and we are not. We get hooked on the fact that He provides all that which we cannot provide. We get hooked on it and we want more. Amen. That's the righteousness of hungering and thirsting. And number four is that we eat the whole thing. <laughs> I got about five more cookies in that batch. They are planning to be eaten today so that I can say I ate the whole thing for the demonstration of this sermon. I need to cook, eat, uh, do another sermon on food, don't I? So, so you eat the whole thing. Believers seek all the righteousness of Christ, not parts of it. You know, and I will admit there are some things in the scriptures that I say, no problem. I got that one handled. I believe I can do that one. 
I like it. I like what it says. I have no problem with that. And then there are some things in Scripture I'm thinking, mm, oops, I don't know if I want to give it up. I don't know if I want to change. And then the more we get into that word, we realize we have no choice. If you want part, you've got to have all. You can't have parts of righteousness. It has to be all. And so we want to eat the whole thing. Give me a piece of bread. It's not just give me a piece of bread, but give me the whole loaf. Matthew, 6, Matthew 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for all righteousness. Not just a piece of it. The person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness wants it all. They want all of God. Could that be the problem today with my life and yours? We just want enough of God to appease us so that we won't have to change the whole. We want enough of God to get us in right standing, but not enough to bring us unto all righteousness. The kind that would radically change our lives as long as the superficial change is dealt with. Are you ready to take all of God? And if so, then you will receive the benefit of this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the final part of the principles we said, first of all, was the possibility of righteousness. And we talked about the four usages. Then we said something about the power of hunger and those four observations. And now back to the third principle, the possibility of righteousness, the power of hunger. And number three is the promise of fulfillment. If you want righteousness, you can have it. <laughs> That's the promise. It's not like, you know... Do something like this for so much in your life for so many years and when I'm good and ready as God, I'll give you righteousness. It doesn't work that way. When you and I demonstrate the lifestyle that we're changed from the inside out, that we no longer seek the praise of men, that causes us to seek God's approval instead above everything else, then we can have it. Let me go out on a limb and make an even bolder statement. If you, whatever you want in the spiritual realm, you can have it if you want it that bad. And that's good or bad. And I don't think we appreciate the truth that if you and I, if we're hungry for something better from God, you can have it. If you want it, you can have a closer walk with God. If you want it, you can have a more a more spiritual marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want it, you can grow spiritually. If you want it, you can become the man of God or the woman of God. If you want it, you can change deeply those ingrown habits of your life. If you want it, you can break the destructive patterns of your life. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, when you really want what God wants more than anything else in your life that's in this world, you can't have it. That's the promise of fulfillment. Now let me give you two promises that are there, and I'll close out with this, and you can go eat, all right? <laughs> Number one, you will be filled with Jesus himself. You will be filled with Jesus himself. As I bring these thoughts to a close, Jesus' appeal is always personal. He never says, come and join the church. 
Come and be baptized. Come and give your money. He simply says what? Come unto me. He says, come to me. And if you come to me, you will be filled. You will be filled with Jesus himself. And Jesus is what? Righteousness. And so if you want to be filled with righteousness, you got to first be filled with Jesus. If you're thirsty, come drink the water of life. If you're hungry, come eat the bread of life. If you're weary and heavy laden, come and find rest in Jesus. If you're guilty, come and find forgiveness in Christ. If you're far from God, come back home to Him. It's all about coming to Jesus. And when you and I come to Jesus, we see righteousness. The French philosopher Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum within us that's in every human heart. Nature abhors a vacuum. It's against the vacuum. But if we don't fill the vacuum in our heart with God, then we're going to fill it with something else. And the problems happen, the testimonies of our life, is what happens when we fill our heart with something else than God. Eric, you shared a beautiful testimony at the men's breakfast, at our last breakfast. And you, you said more in that testimony than I think you could ever know. And you said, here is my life when I was filling it with something else. And now here is my life when I filled it with God. And that's a difference. And it's the struggle that we'll always have in life. Constant. Are we, what, what's the balance? Or have we tipped the scale one way or the other? Have we gone blue or red? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, have we tipped the scale a little bit more than we should have? And so the, the vacuum has to be filled. The hole has to be filled. The desire and the craving has to be filled with Jesus. And so you will be filled with righteousness, the scripture says. And you will be filled with Jesus himself. So, money, so many of us have fulfilled our hearts with the junk food of the world, as I call it. No wonder sometimes we end up unhappy. No wonder we jump from one job to another or one relationship to another. We have full stomachs but empty hearts. We're like little children who won't let go of the marble in order to receive the diamond. Trade a broken marriage and a failed career for peace and forgiveness. Give up the drug addiction and be forgiven. I just can't replace my anger and bitterness with the peace and contentment from God. No wonder we stay the way we are. We get trapped into our own hearts with the thousands of excuses and we end up in misery and pain emotionally and we're sitting there at a counselor. I don't know what went wrong. The problem is you had the money and you went and bought the boat and the boat didn't have enough happiness in your life. And so therefore, you know, 600 years ago, St. Augustine said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, Just come to me. 
And you'll never be happy until you do. You'll never understand what true righteousness is until you do. It's all about surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all of my heart to you. I surrender in my mind. I surrender my life. I surrender my career, my marriage, my friendships, my relationships. I surrender it all to you. And I ask for your righteousness to cover all those things in my life. Salvation begins with a hungry heart. And if you're tired of the life that you've been living, you can make a new start. And whenever you understand that new start, it's just the beginning of a spiritual rim waiting to happen. And there's going to be a hunger and thirst that's always going to be there for the rest of your life. And it is every day. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst every day for the righteousness that I give. If you hunger and thirst and you want it that bad, you can have it and you will be filled. That's the promise of the verse. So I ask you this, are you hungry? (laughs) And are you thirsty? God has a remedy to our hunger and our thirst. You can be filled. This is the promise from God to the hungry hearts and thirsting souls. Thanks be unto God that He provides everything we need. He knows our tick and our talk. He knows us inside out. He knows us from the outside in. And he knows what we really need. And it all comes down to hunger and thirst. Not for chocolate cookies, but for a spiritual appetite found in him. And the promise is, if you want it that bad, You can take action, you can keep coming back for more, and you can eat the whole thing, and you can be filled. Will you cry out to God today and be filled with Jesus and let him change you from the inside out? Thanks be unto God. Father, we thank you that you call upon us to seek your face, to seek your being, to seek who you are, to seek your majesty, and to understand in the seeking of your righteousness. Father, I'm thankful that as we come to know Jesus, we come to know the standard that has been set by your word. And if we ever in doubt of things that we should do and not do, we look to Jesus. He's the answer. We realize that in coming to him, we have rest, we have comfort, we have peace, we have joy, we have direction, we have hope, instruction, and we have righteousness. Father, change our hunger and our thirst pains that are more apt to you. Change our appetites that we can be a people wanting more of the substance of a powerful God that you are. We thank you for all that you give us and all that you teach us that have been taught in your word from time, time, and time again, even all the way down to the prayers that we pray. And we realize the joy that Jesus gives us as we pray. That Lord's Prayer that that gives us direction, that speaks about righteousness, that speaks about hunger, that speaks about doing the right thing. And we join in together and we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen to that. I've asked Dan to keep the stream rolling as I want to cover a couple things. One of the things that happened with the pandemic is it separates us as a church. And for those who are at home tending and uh, just not feeling comfortable yet being back with you, you miss a couple of things by not being with us. And one of those things are those people who are in need of prayer. And one of those is Teresa Giles has lost her sister unexpectedly yesterday. Uh, she needs the church's love. She needs the church's church family. Uh, as she goes through this grief along with her entire family. So if you would like to reach out to Teresa, we encourage you to do so. Also to pray for one another, uh, pray for Darlene uh, Gallman continually, pray for Carol Harmon as she recuperates from surgery, pray for Mary Venegas as she goes through a battery of tests leading up to hopefully getting her to surgery. Uh, we've got others that, that are in need of, of concerns and and prayer requests, those who are traveling, uh, safety here or there. Um, and I know that you have needs as well. And if you're at home listening in and you have a particular need, we've got to know it. You can, you can let your deacon know when they text you or call you uh, in the next week or so. Or you can pick up the phone and call them. Or you can call myself, uh, the, your pastor, or leave a message on the church voicemail. We will get it. Um, and so we just want to be connected and know that we have needs. We also have needs financially in the church. And I encourage you to think about your place of giving. Not that the pandemic has hurt. We've been really blessed throughout this pandemic. And God has met all our needs and continues to do so. But we also know that it's important that we understand the needs that are present. And we need those to be committed to the tithing and the ministry of the church as well. Uh, I wanted to read a thank you note. It says, Dear Church Family, Dave and I would like to thank everyone for the outpouring of love and support. We are so blessed by your generous gift to us, which we'll, be, we will, we'll forever treasure. We're going to miss everyone, but we always, you'll always be in our hearts. We love our church family, and we're thankful for each of you. And then she's got a side note, special thanks to those guys of the church who came and rescued Dave from loading the truck. Uh, we couldn't have done it without you. We're also blessed with delicious lunch made by Dequants. Our hearts are full. Thank you, and God bless Dave and Mary Rennie. They were also tuning in, and I think they're still live with us, and we love you, Dave and Mary, from the bottom of our hearts, and we'll miss you greatly. All right. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what I wanted to do is let, let the church know who's still attending out there on some of the needs that are there in our congregation, and hopefully we didn't miss any. I think Jim uh, Reddick has a, a cousin who is a nephew, excuse me, a nephew who's dealing with COVID-19 and is in very, very critical state in the hospital. And so um, we need to pray for that family as well. All right. So, so guys, all those who are tuning in, we're going to sign you off. And thank you for allowing me a few extra minutes as we uh, close out our service. And we'll see you back uh, next Sunday. Okay.